I'm home. This is the Confessions of an Arcade Addict podcast, an introspective look into video gaming from the classic era until today. Now here is your host, Brian. Hey folks, what's going on out there? Brian here, and this is episode number 13 of the Confessions of an Arcade Addict podcast. As it turns out, I do have a voicemail. Uh, It's from Mike Stewart. So without any further ado, let's get into his voicemail. Hey Brian, it's Mike again, just calling, listening to your latest episode of your show, number 12. And uh, I'm not sure why it came to me, but I was curious uh, if you ever played any of the combination video game slash pinball games. I know there was a fad for a few of those in the mid-80s. Um, I saw them a few times, but I never got a chance to actually play them. So I was wondering if A, if you had, and B, what you thought of them. Keep up the good work. Bye. Thanks again for the voicemail, Mike. Um, the only video game slash pinball machine that I ever remember playing with any sort of regularity was Baby Pac-Man. That came out in, what, 1983, I think? I'm going to look it up on Wikipedia while I'm talking. But Spanky's had it, and that was like... I was obsessed with it for, I want to say, about a month or so. I was constantly throwing quarters in that thing. So, baby Pac-Man. Okay, I just looked it up on Wikipedia. Baby Pac-Man was released on October 11th, 1982. Wow. Man, my memory's starting to fail me. I thought it was 83, but I think this... Yeah, as a matter of fact, now that I think about it and my memory actually starts to work, I remember this game being a major contributor to the binge of Christmas of 1982. Um... Yeah, uh, Baby Pac-Man was a wonderful game. I mean, it, it was really hard. I mean, you had to be good at both video game Pac-Man and uh, pinball in order to play it properly. Um, I mean, I I loved it, but the whole thing was is that I tried to play um, Baby Pac-Man sort of like Pac-Man in the beginning, and you don't start out with power pellets. You actually have to go down the chutes at the bottom of the maze to access the pinball machine. And you had to hit drop targets and uh, go down um, and you know put the ball down uh, ver- put the ball down various ramps to get power pellets to upgrade uh, your baby Pac-Man. Um, speed in the tunnels and to you and also to upgrade the fruits um i found it kind of interesting because the scoring in baby pac-man was like um all of it was pretty much like times 10 uh, i think as a matter of fact i'm looking at it right here why can't i look it up well unfortunately the wikipedia uh, entry is a little bit barren on actual game information. Um, I think the the dots were a hundred points. Um, I think the power pellets were like five hundred, and the ghosts were like 
2,000, 4,000, 8,000, and 16,000 respectively after, of course, eating a power pellet. Um, but the funny, the thing was is that this game, the Pac-Man part of it was really hard because, like I said, you started with no power pellets and you had to, of course, be good at it to finish the maze out but you also had to be good at pinball to actually get the fruits upgraded and to get the power pellets back on the playboard. And, you know, it was a constant, like, back and forth, back and forth between the two. It was it was kind of difficult. The Pac-Man version without the power pellets is really hard. I mean, I found myself trying to actually... Um, I found myself trying to actually... Uh, how should I put this? Yeah, just eat as many dots as I could to try to get as many before I had to go down the chutes at the bottom to access the pinball version. Um, I really had trouble be doing very well. I think I had, like, one game where I did, like, really well. Like, oh, I want to say, like, oh, I want to say, like, 400,000 or so. Um... Sometime last year, um, one of the guys I've, I've watched and follow on Twitch, Jack Danger, who is, you know, a pinball streamer, he actually played uh, Baby Pac-Man, and he just wrecked it, wrecked the game, just actually wrecked it. He started out not being really good at Pac-Man, but he took some uh, advice from the people who were watching, myself included, and he was good enough at the pinball version of it, the part of it that he could get um he could get um the power pellets out, he could upgrade the fruits and everything like that, you know, and actually uh clear the maze of dots. So yeah, I think I'm trying to remember what score he put up. He put up like this ridiculous score of like I want to say like 8 million or something like that. But yeah. So yeah, I'll when I get to uh my story time with um telling a story of the great binge of 1982, which I think is in episode Oh, let's see. That's episode 19. So it's coming. Um but yeah, I mean this this game was a lot of fun. It ate a lot of my tokens, and, you know, you had to really be decent at pinball. And I was, I would say, painfully average at pinball back in those days because I really went away from pinball and I was fully focused on arcade video games at that point. And so... You know, you have to be good at both to really be good at Baby Pac-Man. That's the only one that I remember that was a combination of video game and pinball machine. So I hope that answered your question, Mike. And like Mike, if you want to get a hold of me and ask a question or uh, have a comment about something that I was talking about in a previous episode, or you want... Uh, you want to have a suggestion about uh, you know any any games you want me to talk about or review or anything else 
whatever you know whatever strikes your fancy you can get a hold of me at arcadeaddictbrian that's all one word at gmail.com also we have a phone number for voicemails like mike uses that number is 734-743-2433 i also have uh social media uh, up and running uh you can get a hold of me on facebook twitter instagram and tumblr uh, on Facebook, just search for Confessions of an Arcade Addict. Uh, Twitter is at arcadeaddict underscore B. Instagram is at arcadeaddictbrian. And Tumblr is tumblr.com slash blog slash Confessions of an Arcade Addict. So there are various ways to get a hold of me. And if you have information you want to share, questions, comments, critiques, you know, have at it. So, um... Also, let's see, uh, I haven't been doing too much in the realm of gaming too lately, I've just been maintaining my account on Star Trek Online, which is what I've been doing. I plan on going to uh, the arcade in Brighton either next week or the weekend after. Um, my godson has expressed interest in going, so um, I'll have him in tow and we'll probably spend a couple hours up there and have some fun. That's, and of course, um, if anything comes to mind, um, before, during, or after my arcade run, I'll of course put it in, you know, I'll record it, and I'll put it up in a on-the-road segment if I feel it's worthy of discussion, because God only knows where my brain goes after these binges. But anyway, so, enough of that. Let's get on with the show, and let's go on to Arcade Rundown. Good morning, Mr. Phelps. Your mission, Jim, should you decide to accept it, is to make Stefan believe Thompson's information. As always, should you or any of your IM force be caught or killed, the Secretary will disavow any knowledge of your actions. This tape will self-destruct in five seconds. Good luck, Jim. Arcade Rundown. The Fun Machine and Rocky's Replay. Uh, both these places are in Orlando, Florida, and they were instrumental in uh, reigniting my love for arcades. Um, so, uh, let's see. Um, while arcades were prevalent in Orlando during the early to mid-90s, there was one company that stood out among the rest that wasn't on Disney property, and that was the Fun Machine. Uh, they had two locations, one on State Road 436 in Castleberry, and also on State Road 50 on the west side of town, I think it's in, it was in Pine Hills, I think that was the name of the town due west out of Orlando along State Road 50. Um, they were both huge arcades. They had quite a bit of square footage. Um, they had a, just a fantastic range of games uh, going from uh, Mortal Kombat and Street Fighter um, and ranging all the way you know, back to the classics. Um, I think out of the two, I think the, I like the one on State Road 50 better. I think it had a much better selection from my memories. Um, they were just a wonderful, they were wonderful arcades, and 
both my roommate and myself were really sad when they closed down. I think they closed in either 90, I think they closed in 97, maybe 98. I'm not 100% sure. Um, but while they, while they existed, they were focal points in the arcade runs that my roommate and I used to do. Um, we sometimes would just, after we both got out of work, we would go up to um, one of them and spend like two or three hours, maybe sometimes as many as four, uh, playing games over there. Um, and sometimes we'd actually drive to, you know, go to both, you know, if we really had a wild hair up our backsides. Uh, we both, we would hit both and, you know, um, considering we were both heavily into Street Fighter at the time, these are the places we went to to get better. Um, we would constantly be doing runs and, you know, my roommate was better than me at, at, at the beginning, but I started catching up, especially once, um, once we started playing, um, Street Fighter Special Champion Edition for the Sega Genesis because we would play each other all the time. Actually, we would take turns doing um, single-player runs through the game, and then we would play each other. And that's how I got better, because she was really good. Um, but yeah, I mean, the Fun Machine, it was a great place. I mean, they ran off of tokens. They had, of course, they had tons of arcade machines and some older... I mean, they went, they ran the whole gamut from like uh you know modern day cutting edge you know in the early 90s i want to say it was like when we started doing this it was like 93 you know when i first moved up there and going into 94 and we started just doing this like at least once a week maybe sometimes twice and they had everything of the modern day going all the way backwards i think i saw a drag race machine in the um in the uh in that fun machine i mean that takes me all the way back to like the late 70s you know but you know it was it was really cool i mean i actually something played i remember i used to when we went, went to the one state road 50 while my roommate was trying to you know get in to play uh street fighter uh turbo or two turbo or um champion edition you know uh, because there was always a you know crowd of dudes around that around that machine, and they were playing each other and all that kind of stuff. And while she was doing that, I would just go back and just play like um, game ground and, and games like that stuff that I was playing just before I left uh, my home state of Connecticut. Those are the ones I really remember. And you know we. You know, we both were really sad and upset when uh, the fun machine closed their doors. It was one of the classic, I mean, it, I mean, direct throwback to the, you know, to the heyday of arcades because it had that feel from the moment you walked in the place. Of course, I'll give this a arcade review in future episodes, so stay tuned. But yeah, I am sort of waxing poetic about the place, but yeah, it was, it was great. One of the best arcades I've ever been to in my life, hands down. Um, there was a guy who created a website uh, dedicated to the Fun Machine starting in 2010, and he had pictures of both locations. Um, I found that with the Wayback Machine. 
um, that's on archive.org where you can actually go back to the uh, younger days of the internet and go back to old websites and stuff like that. That's how I was able to find it. Um, it was kind of cool, but you know, I was there just because of the pictures, because those pictures brought back a bunch of memories. Yeah, Fun Machine was a great place. The second one was Rocky's Replay. Now, Rocky's Replay was a latecomer to the arcade scene. I think they started up in, God, I want to say, oh goodness, I want to say like 1995, maybe even 96. And, you know, they were coming, they were coming on to the, the arcade scene, which unfortunately was starting to die off with the closings of the fun machines. Uh, Church Street Station, which was right downtown in downtown Orlando, they had a really decent arcade, but then they closed down. Um, the mall arcade, both mall arcades, meaning Fashion Square and the Florida Mall, they both had arcades, and they were, you know, they were starting to decline, and they ended up shutting down. I think they were finally gone by I want to say, oh goodness, like nineteen ninety or 1999 somewhere in there but yeah uh, both those arcades got shut down which was unfortunate um, but Rocky's Replay was a strong entry into the scene um, from what I remember they did tend more towards the newest and latest arcade games um, they had Street Fighter Alpha 3 uh, NFL Blitz, Gauntlet Legends NBA Showtime you know, most of the games of the day, they did have some classic games, but it was a rather small place, but I think they had, like, I want to say, like, 40 machines, 30, you know, somewhere between 30 and 50, um, and it also had uh, a bar, and they served hamburgers, hot dogs, ice cream, and also they served alcohol to, you know, people who wanted to drink. It started off small, but through the years, it kept growing. Um, as it turns out, I did a little more research into Rocky's Replay. Um, basically, uh, it was forced to close down in 2009, and that was because um, the state of Florida was doing a major reconstruction to State Road 436, and what? And basically, um, up in the Castleberry area, the construction they were doing pretty much forced the closings of uh, several businesses along that road. Um, but this, of course, was long after I moved to Michigan. I mean, I left uh, Florida in uh, 2002. Um, and doing a little more research, Rockies made a comeback in 2011 as a barcade in the uh, Orlando suburb slash town of Winter Park. Um, but as I did more research, uh, it wasn't at the location it said, so they must have closed down again. Um, my roommate and I, um, let's see, by this time, uh, 1995, 1996, uh, my roommate and I had a falling out, and um, I was pretty much doing, you know, going on arcade runs by myself at this point. Um, or I was going with another friend of mine that I'm, you know, a friend of mine I made working at uh, the public supermarket near where I used to live. Um, and, yeah, we used to, every once in a while, uh, we would go to this one place, um, which was a car rental place, uh, both myself and um, 
my ex-fiance at the time, um, we, we would need a car every once in a while to get around. So we would go up to this one place. It was sort of like a rent-a-wreck place. It was like this little mom-and-pop car rental place. But every once in a while, I would go up there and rent a car for like a weekend. And I would just drive around and, you know, uh, play, go to various arcades and play games and so forth. Or take, you know, my then-fiancé, you know, places. Um... But yeah, me and a friend of mine, we used to go up there. We would, you know, play games and so forth, which was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was a really interesting place. I mean, this was also before the smoking, uh, in indoor smoking ban really took hold in the late 90s. And, uh... You know, when you walk through the place, you know, there was always the cigarette odor, you know, there and so forth. But, you know, it was really cool. I mean, it's a good place to play some games, have a bite to eat, you know, have a beer or two if that's what you want, and watch a game. It was it was one of those kind of places. Um, sort of like how I envisioned Dave and & Buster's being, and actually how Dave & Buster's was before they went super corporate. <laughs> and that's where I will stop because <laughs> I could go on a rant about that. Um, so yeah, those are that's Rocky's Replay and the Fun Machine. Um, if you lived in Orlando at those times, you remember those places, you got stories of your own, get a hold of me. I would love to hear your perspective and hear what you have to say about them. Uh, that is arcadeaddictbrian at gmail.com. Okay, moving on from there, we will go on to Are You Experienced? I'm too old for this. Hiding in front seats like a teenager. Hobie, I think I'm getting too old for this stuff. I'm getting too old for this. Listen, you was born too old for this. I'm getting too old for this. I'm getting too old for this. Lying wet arse to my heather chasing other men's cattle. I'm getting too old for this sort of thing. Maybe we're getting too old for this. What do you think, huh? I'm not too old for this shit. I'm not too old for this shit. You will not. We're not too old for this shit. We're, we're not, not too old for this shit. We're not too old for this shit. like you believe. We're not too old for this shit. We're not too old for this shit. I'm not gonna buy a hemorrhoid cookie. We're not too old for this shit. Are you experienced? Punch out. Okay. This one uh, was released in 1984. Um, I remember when Trumbull Mall Arcade got it. That got a lot of interest really quickly. Um, it was something you'd never seen before, really. I'm trying to remember. I mean, I know there were other boxing games. I mean, I remember freaking uh, Activision Boxing for the 2600. That came out in, like, 1982. But this was an actual... Or, yeah, in Television Boxing 2, now I think about it. I think that came out in, what, 80? I think that was one of the first ones that came out. So, somewhere between 79 and 80. Um, but this was like one of the first, dare I say, legitimate boxing games for, you know, for the arcade. I know there were other ones, but this one was like super, you know, super legit. Okay, let's do a little bit of Wikipedia history. Punch-Out! is a boxing arcade game by Nintendo, re originally released in December 1983. Um, it was the first in a series of successful Punch-Out! games, producing an arcade sequel known as Super Punch-Out!, which we will get into probably, I think, in the next episode, as a matter of fact, so stay tuned for that. Um, a spin-off 
of the series entitled Arm Wrestling. I remember seeing that because you actually arm wrestled Ball Bull. Um, a highly popular version of the NES for the NES known as Mike Tyson's Punch-Out and Super Punch-Out for the Super Nintendo. This, the arcade game introduced recurring video game characters such as Glass Joe, Piston Hurricane, Bald Bull, and Mr. Sandman. It was also the debut project at Nintendo for composer Koji Kondo, better known for his later contributions in the Super Mario and the Legend of Zelda series, which is interesting. Okay. In the game, the player assumes the role of a green-haired boxer, some sometimes claimed to be Little Mac from the NES versions, known by the three initials the player chooses when the game begins. During matches, the player's boxer is viewed from behind and above as a wireframe so the opponents can be seen. The player must time his punches, dodges, and blocks in order to defeat the opposing boxer. Hints are given as to the opponent's next move by subtle eye changes. The whites of the eyes flash yellow but the player must ultimately predict what moves the opponent will make and react appropriately. Once the player defeats the last opponent, the opponents repeat with increased difficulty. The player has one three-minute round to score a knockout and will automatically lose if time runs out. A fighter who is knocked down three times in one round will be unable to rise, leading to a knockout. If the, in the event the player loses, the computer-controlled victor will taunt the player and the corner man for the player will try to entice the player to play again, saying, Come on, stand up and fight. Yep, <laughs> I remember that distinctively. Um, via the game's distinct digitized speech, players are only allowed one continue per play, though. Like many games made during the Golden Age of Arcade games, there is no actual ending and the game continuously loops until the player loses. The game is a modified upright and was unusual that it required two video monitors, one, one atop the other, for the game's display. That is true. That was something really, really unique, and that's, I think, is another thing that drew people to that game, but I continue. Um, the top monitor is used to display statistics and fighter portraits, while the bottom one is the main game display similar to Nintendo's multi-screen game and watch titles and the Nintendo DS. That's true. <laughs> That's very true. Uh, with the gameplay and power meters representing stamina for each fighter. Apart from this, the game is more or less a standard upright. The game has a joystick and three buttons. Two buttons control the left and right punches, one for each arm denoted by a left or a right when hitting the head, or a body blow when hitting the body with either arm. A large button on the console allows the player to deliver a powerful uppercut or right hook, but only when the KO meter on the display is completely full. The meter increases when the player successfully lands a punch, decreases when the opponent lands one, and drops to zero when the player is knocked down. Once the meter is full, the corner man's digitized speech encourages the player to either put him away or knock him out. Yep. <laughs> And God only knows when you're in the heat of battle, when you hear that, yeah, you are <laughs> you are pounding on that button to throw the right hook. Because, yeah, that's the most powerful punch. I think the uppercut is slightly less powerful. I may be wrong, but it, it's... I'll have to ask Zallard about it. Because <laughs> he's the, the expert of punch-out <laughs> by far. So, as a matter of fact, I'm looking at the release dates. Yes. Um, Punch-Out! was released in North America in 1984, February of 1984. That makes perfect sense, because I think, if I'm not mistaken, that's what we got, and that's when we got it. I think it was either February or March of 1984. 
that's the one thing about Trumbull Mar Arcade that I always loved about it. They always got the latest games quickly. The, there were some that they didn't get that just sort of, it was puzzling, but yeah, they were on top of it most of the time. Okay, so that is from the, the read from Wikipedia. Um, like I said, when Trumbull Mall got it, it drew a lot of interest. I mean, tons. Um, it was kind of interesting because um, just watching other people play it, most people, unless they were complete and total spazzes, they could get by Glass Joe, they could get by Piston Hurricane, uh, but most of those people, Bald Bull would come up and they would just, <laughs> he would just knock them, knock them out with the quickness. Those who knew the secrets of the game could get by the likes of Pizza Pots and Kick Quick, but then even Mr. Sandman would be tough to beat. Um, fortunately, by this time, I mean, if we're talking early 1984, I'm 15 years old, and I'm watching everybody else play it before I even start dropping my, my quarters in it, or my tokens. And but so by yeah, so the thing was is that the game is fairly easy to learn, but it's really hard, difficult to master. It really is. You have to have split second timing to be even remotely decent at the game. One of the most unfair things about the game was that once you went through the first set of fires and fighters and you won the title, most of the fighters from then on had an unblockable punch they would throw if you threw the left punch at them, um, and they weren't stunned. Um, if you were just trying to, let's take Glass Joe for an example. If you tried to fight Glass Joe the same way as you fought him the first time, yeah, you'd probably get knocked out. And because they had this one unblockable punch, if they weren't stunned, you threw the left at them, they would just skate to their left and hit you with what I call the rabbit punch. And, you know, they would just basically skate out of away from your left and just throw this punch at you and hit you in the side of the head. I mean, it was ridiculous. I mean, the punch always hit you, and it, also, it already did, it just did ridiculous damage. I remember one time I'm watching Zaller do one of his run, you know, one of his run-throughs for Punch-Out. You know, I think he was playing Punch-Out on the Switch. I think that's what he was doing. Um... Oh, by the way, yeah, get this. The most ridiculous thing in the world is this guy was playing um, Super Punch-Out for the Super Nintendo. Or was it? No, it wasn't. No, it was the... Uh, oh, goodness. Oh, goodness, what was it? Was it the Switch? Yeah, I think it was Super Punch-Out for the Switch. He was playing it more or less blindfold. He was playing it blind. He wasn't even looking at the screen. He was playing the game based on uh, the sounds he was hearing. And he got through most of it. I think he set a, re I think he set a record <laughs> playing it that way. It was ridiculous. But anyway, I digress. Um, but yeah, I talked to him one day, and he said that, when, that that was a difficulty level adjustment, and the arcade operators basically put that machine on its highest difficulty setting. And... Yeah, it makes sense, because I don't remember, it's either I got inured to it, or I just never noticed it, but yeah, they put a lot of their machines on really high difficulty levels, maybe that's why I'm, you know, I got good at some of these machines, but yeah, I mean, 
it's just one of those kind of things. You know, it it was just one of those things about Punch-Out that sort of turned me off to the game. I mean, it was bad enough that the fighters that you went up against were a lot tougher and a lot faster, and you no longer had the the uh, yellows of their eyes indication. You had to go off of memory, you know, as to when they were going to attack and what they were going to throw and when you could counter it. That was hard enough, but then you add that rabbit punch to it, and yeah, it kind of turned me off to punch out because it's just one of those things where I'm like, the game's hard enough, you don't have to make it harder. Um, let's see, both... Pinball Pete's and the Arcade in Brighton have a punch-out machine. Uh, every once in a while, I'll just play it for old time's sake. Um, or just to put my name up on the on the high scoreboard. <laughs> you know, because most of the people who go through either one of those places, either they don't play that game or they don't play it very well. But whatever. It's just, you know, one of those things to kind of, you know, you know, go back in time a little bit. As always, um, I recommend Zallard One's stream on Twitch if you want to know anything about Punch Out, because, you know, like I said, I think he holds the world records in uh, Punch Out, Super Punch Out, Mike Tyson's Punch Out, Super Punch Out for the Nintendo, um, the Super Punch Out for the Switch. I'm missing one, and I can't remember which one it is, but I'm missing one. But he owns most of the world records for those. Um, so yeah, that's Punch-Out. Um, like I said, easy to learn, difficult to master, and can be highly frustrating at times. So, yeah, if you have any stories about Punch-Out, just, you know how to get a hold of me. ArcadeAddictBrian at gmail.com Okay, let's see. I think I think we have an on the road segment so let me get that queued up and here we go folks, Brian here with another segment of On the Road. I just literally left the arcade in Brighton about 30 seconds ago. Now I'm in my car and headed out. I love the arcade. I mean, it's just a wonderful mix of brand new and classic stuff. I mean, like I said, like I've been saying, and you will hear it if you haven't heard in previous sessions of On the Road, but the only thing that they need is, well, they need a bigger place. <laughs> let's, let's make that completely and crystal clear. They need a bigger place. You know, their square footage in that place is not conducive to a full-size arcade like that. I mean, I've not seen that many games, and not just the functional games, but the ones either they just got or they're trying to fix, or 
or just stuff that they're putting in temporary storage until they can take it to wherever their permanent storage location is. But, you know, you've got at least a hundred machines in there. Pinball, classic video games, new video games. Just at least 150. I think they said I think they said it's like 200, which is pretty good. But yeah, they need a bigger spot for sure. You know, I understand that it would be tough for them to find one, but they definitely need a bigger place. And the second thing, which has been my bugaboo about this place since the beginning, is. Um, they need, um, well, if they're going to stay in that place, they need air conditioning. I mean, seriously, functional air conditioning. Because you can work up a really good sweat just playing the games, never mind the fact that, you know, it's pretty warm in there. You know, I've always said it. You probably have heard it in previous segments, but, you know, that's just my major gripe about the place. I mean, they had games functioning this time that I hadn't seen. Uh, they had their Frenzy Machine functioning. They had their Pango functioning. You know, and that was pretty cool. Um, and this was a pretty good run. Pretty good run. Even for, you know, not so much, you know, like world beating or, you know, but when you walk into the place... And you haven't played Robotron since you put up like 720,000 the last time you were there. And you get you put yourself on those controls and you put up 780,000. Yeah. Nothing quite like that. It's it's awesome. I mean, just you know, get just the adrenaline rush, you know, constantly looking for and trying to maintain your uh, area, your area of responsibility, trying to get humanoid families, you know, is trying to keep one step ahead of the various enemies that are trying to, trying their best to kill you, and just doing it regardless. Just putting up now 782 is the best score I've put up on Robotron in the arcade at all time I think on my home system I think I put up like a score of well over a million maybe even two million mm. sorry I had to take a sip of lemonade I'm a little dehydrated okay now well, I have to go to the store and get something for my son so I will be right back Okay, I'm back. So, as I was saying, you know, it's pretty good to have that kind of thing go on where, you know, everything is breaking right because Robotron is just one of those games and it's typical of the Eugene Jarvis created Williams games of the early 80s going all the way into the mid 80s that the game can be incredibly rewarding and or, and even at the same time, incredibly brutal. You know, you have to really be really good 
to, you know, get the maximum amount of enjoyment out of it while suffering the least amount of frustration with it. But I love, I love Robotron. It's a great game. Just one of those timeless games. Ever since Williams came out with Defender in 1980, it's like I've said before, they were on a serious roll. I mean, they came out with, let's see, uh, well, to start with, they started with Defender in 1980, Stargate in 1981, uh, Sinistar in 82, I think Sinistar was 82, Sinistar in 82, Robotron in 82, and it just kept going from there. I mean, Bubbles was in there, Moon Patrol was in there, I think Moon Patrol's 81, or was it 80? no, it was 83, that's right, jeez. But Williams had this wonderful run of games. And they're hard. At times, they can be borderline unfair. But if you're good, you can rack up a good score on those games and keep those moments where you're in major trouble and you're not going to get out of it to a minimum. You know, I mean, shout out to Greg Hansen of arcade be possible because that dude is the best robotron player i've ever seen and i've seen some good ones i've seen some good ones growing up i've seen a couple of videos of some people on youtube you know trying to go for world records and so forth and you know i've watched greg on his twitch channel going for whoops 10 million points on the new uh, Robotron. Or was it 100 million? Oh, I can't remember which. That stream was like two years ago plus, but the guy was at it for, I want to say, nine, ten hours, you know, before he had to tap out. I think he'd already turned it over once at uh, 10 million. Yeah, I think the machine would turn over 10 million. I could be wrong, but anyway, um, so yeah, I had a good run, you know, I put up 782,000 on Robotron, which is just by far and away the best I've ever done at Robotron in an arcade, on an actual arcade machine. When I played, uh, my Williams Classic Arcade Hits game on my PlayStation 1, I think I put up a score of like 3 or 4 million, something like that. So, that stands as my all-time record, but, you know, I do differentiate between home games, emulation, and, you know, actually standing at an arcade machine and playing it. So, let's see, I did that. I put up like, what, 664,000 on that hyperness pac-man that i've been talking about um yeah that one i just i rocked that and i mean i was actually entertaining getting a million points but the problem with that is is that you have to be really good at the by the power pellet reversal stage I think that's the, oh my god, the third junior, I think, 
where even when you're on the quote-unquote bonus stage, I like to call it, because when you go to a... When you go... I think it starts on the... I mean, it's after every animated stage in this Pac-Man. I mean, yeah, it's after every one. So that would be the Peach stage, the Pear stage, and the first set of Banana stages. Or excuse me, second set of Banana stages. Second set. And on a quote-unquote bonus stage, the Power Pellets... Uh, turn the ghost blue for a longer period of time than it will in the stage before that stage and the stages after until you get to another uh, junior scene and I think there are only three because I just noticed that because after that then they started changing they just basically started changing boards after the third, after each, after uh, every three boards. So, after the third junior, even in the quote-unquote bonus stage, all the power pellet does is just reverse the ghost direction. So basically, you're playing to get the, get the fruits, and avoid getting, avoid getting trapped, and to clear out the stage as quickly as possible. And I was, for about, I want to say about seven, maybe eight or nine boards, I was in a groove. And the thing about playing a hyper-miss Pac-Man is you can basically outsmart yourself. It, meaning that you're trying to get through some areas where the ghosts have you trapped, or the ghosts are going to trap you, and either you don't think you have it, you don't have the space to get through it, or you just end up making a wrong turn and running smack dab into a ghost and killing yourself. So, um, yeah, so I put up a really good score. I, I took pictures this time. You know, I finally kind of smartened up, and... By the time you hear this, there will be a Confessions of an Arcade Addict Facebook page. And maybe if I can get a setup going, if this, if this sort of turns into something where I can actually, dare I say, make a little money from it, the first things I'm going to do is put that money back into the podcast. Meaning that if, you know, I don't want to ask for donations, but I really have a vision for this. I really, really do. And I want to, you know, turn this into a Twitch channel, you know, where... I just go out and I stream uh, playing arcade games. The problem with that is, is that I have to kind of stay on one game, or at least for the, um, at least the setups that I have seen, 
like uh, Jack Danger, where he goes to various arcades and plays one. Maybe every once in a while he'll play two arcade machines. I mean, not arcade. He'll play two pinball machines. Excuse me. Yeah, I had to take another drink of my uh, lemonade. Um, yeah, so he ha basically has this rig where he's got three camera shots. Uh, let's see, one of the play field, one of the, the score uh, table, and one of him, or whoever's playing with him. And so he's got this monster three camera setup with a ball mic. And, you know, he's, he's to his credit, he's made it, you know, he's made it, uh, made it work for him. You know, I'm hoping, you know, really good things happen for him because, you know, he deserves it. You know, my only gripe with his stream now is that he's kind of going a little more towards going out and, you know, getting hammered than he is to play pinball now. You know, I mean, you know, I guess he kind of, even if he's wants to do it, I guess he kind of has to do it to quote, to more or less please the people that are donating to him. I mean, I donate $10 a month to the guy and, you know, there are just some days where he's streaming and I'm watching and he's just, I hate to say it like this, but I'm going to say it, you know, he's getting drunk and screwing around. And, I mean, I just want to see him play pinball and give, um, you know, give tips about how to beat this machine or that machine and things like that. That's what I want to see more than anything else. But, you know, I've seen, you know, I'm not criticizing anybody. I'm not talking crap about anybody. But, you know, I kind of seen, you know, the regulars that follow that channel and donate to that channel. And yeah, I get it. But anyway, uh, but yeah, what I want to do, I want to actually do that is to go to various arcades and game rooms, play this machine, play that machine. You know, I would love to, I would love to stream this. You know, I'd love to go, you know, to have a channel on Twitch and go be like, hey, going to the arcade on this day to play this machine. And, you know, maybe I'll have, you know, like, you know, have somebody who's really good at the game, you know, come by and play a few, you know, we'll play doubles and stuff like that. And... You know, we'll play doubles and stuff like that and, you know, give tips on how to blow the machine up. Um, so, yeah, getting just moving on. That's just that's just my ambition for it. Whether it actually comes to pass, whether or not it actually does, we shall see. But that's my ambition. You know, I would just love to, at the very least, quote unquote, break even to where, you know, the cost of fuel and, 
you know, food and fuel and, you know, the cost of playing the games, whether it's, you know, flat fee like the arcade is or, you know, even an arcade that is run on tokens or even quarters like Pinball Pizza's, you know, I would love to see this, you know, just grow to that. But that's in the somewhat distant future, a couple years down the line, I think. Because right now, I just need to start getting podcasts out. I need to start doing this on a regular basis. But anyway, I digress. I'm just doing stream of consciousness and whatever comes to mind, you know, I'm just speaking it in, speaking to it. But yeah, I would love to make this something, you know, that, you know, people be like, hey, you know, have you seen the latest, you know, arcade addict stream or whatever, whatever, whatever. But anyway. It's just an an ambition of mine as we are on US-23 heading south. Uh, Let's see. I think we're just getting out of Whitmore Lake and heading down towards Ann Arbor. And traffic is really slow. I think there's an accident up ahead. Um, Let's see. So, yeah, I put up a really good score of 780,000 on... Robotron. I was really, I'm really, really proud of that. I mean, especially considering I'm 49 years old and, you know, I still have, my reflexes are still pretty good, all things considered. I mean, of course, my reflexes were better when I was like 14, 15, but I think it's just like in sports, when you get to that level that your um, your reflexes aren't quite what they once were, but you that you make up for it in experience and you know wisdom, you know being the quote unquote wily veteran, that kind of thing. I think that's where I'm at. But you know, at 49, I'm I'm pretty proud that I could put up a score like that. You know. Okay, so I did that. Let's see. I put up a score. Put a, sc- a pedestrian. No, I won't say pedestrian. It's about, I'd say it's above average score of uh, about 60, I'd say what, 68,000 on Vanguard, which is not too bad. I mean, it wasn't the best game I've had. You know, I got killed at the final stage where you get a good portion of your points. That that was a little bit annoying. Um, let's see. What else? <laughs> I had a rather embarrassing game of only, what, 335,000 on Galaga? I mean, yeah, that's good considering that you know, I was watching it while I was playing this Pac-Man. In between stages, I was sneaking a peek at, at this guy playing Galaga right next to me. And, you know, he struggled to make 90,000. I mean, he was struggling mightily to make that score. And, again, it's just one of those things where I wanted to give out tips, but, you know, I'm not going to give out unsolicited advice. You know, it makes you, it makes you seem like a know-it-all. You know what I mean? But yeah, so I put 
I put up like a score of like 335,000. I just couldn't get it together for some reason on that game. Uh, let's see, what did I do? Uh, I played uh, Pleiades, and I put up a really good score of, what was it? Oh, goodness, I think it was like 25,000, maybe. Yeah, it was like it's 30,000, somewhere in there, which is actually, considering the... Uh, considering the scoring in Pleiades, that's actually pretty good. <clears throat> Excuse me. Oh, uh, let's see. What else did I do? I played... Yeah, I played Frenzy and got 10,000 points, which is actually a good score. I mentioned that already. Um, what else did I play? Uh, <laughs> I played Defender... Their defender machine was actually was working, working fairly well, but I didn't put up a really good score. I only put up like, oh my god, less than twenty thousand, which is an embarrassment for me, to be completely honest about it. It's embarrassing because I'm good for at the very least sixty thousand. <coughs> Excuse me, but mm, had to take some drink of uh, lemonade again. Um, let's see, what else? I got a really good score of, like, 55,000 on uh, Wizard of War, which is really good. You know, that's a good score. You know, I was doing very well at that game, and I was very happy with it. Um, let's see. Wizard of War. Oh, I saw that my score on Star Wars is still up there at a million three hundred ten thousand the high score is like a million five but you know I'm okay with that I am more than okay with that I mean I tried to get get myself up there to at least get like third place on the on the all-time list because in Star Wars only the top three scores actually save only a top three. So, yeah, I got, I think I got, what, a million, two? But, I mean, I was making all kinds of rookie mistakes. I was doing stuff that I should know better not to do. And I was getting, I was getting smacked for it. You know, Star Wars is a game where it will continually smack you if you do boneheaded things. You know, it will punish you. Let's see, what else did I play? <laughs> played Asteroids. I think I only got like 16,000. And I'm usually good for 40,000 on that game. But you know what? On that game, on that game, I'm way out of practice on that game. I'm way out of practice on Asteroids. And I mean, I was doing okay, but yeah, I just, yeah. You know, 16,000 is barely average for me. I'm, I'm good, usually good for 40. Uh, let's see, what else did I play? Um, I think that was more or less it. You know, played some Donkey Kong, didn't do so well. Uh, let's see. Played Berserk and didn't do very well in that either. And, you know, I did, yeah, I was okay. I mean, 
let's see, what did, what was my score? I think my score was like 4,000 in Berserk. Yeah, in Berserk, you know, I think a decent score in Berserk is like 8,000, maybe 9. But, you know, I've played Berserk and, you know, I'm not going to blame the machine, but the controls were pretty loose. It was kind of hard to get the shots that I wanted. You know, you need to be really good at getting the... You need to be really good at getting the uh, diagonal shots to kill robots. But, you know, eh, I did okay. It wasn't anything great. I don't know what's up with the high scores because it's just a bunch of characters, you know, and no... Uh, no numbered scores. I don't know how that happened, but, you know, it's probably some trick to it. Let's see, what else? Hmm. I think that was just about it. I mean, before I left, I played Robotron one more time, got a score of 443,000. You know, I'm okay with that. I am more than happy with that. That's more than, that's, that's perfectly okay. I'm not going to poo-poo that at all. Not even close. You know, anything up over 200,000, I will be more than happy with. So, yeah, so, yeah, it was a pretty good run that time. You know, you know, and pretty good also in the fact that I haven't been there in like two months. I think the last time I was actually there, not two months, a little more than a month, Last time I think I was there, I think it was the beginning of July. Either the beginning of July or the end of June. One of the two. But yeah, like about a month and a half. And I'm actually starting to play some of these games on emulation to kind of keep my hand in a little bit. Just kind of warm up a little bit to kind of know what to expect. I mean, I wish I could get a game like a game like Star Wars to work on MAME, but you, but I don't have the time to fiddle with the control scheme, because you've got to fiddle with that, and fiddle with that, and fiddle with that until you can get it as close to the arcade experience as possible. And also the problem is, is that Star Wars is a game with a control yoke, you know, and it's really hard to emulate that. It, it, it is. I mean, between that and, like, Road Blasters and Firefox and games of that nature, it's kind of hard. To, it's just hard to emulate that with a control stick or, or even just a handheld controller. It takes a lot of fine-tuning. And quite honestly, I don't have the time to be sitting there doing fine-tuning. I got too many things going on. I mean, I work three jobs and I'm about to take a fourth for a few months. And hopefully, hopefully, um, yeah, hopefully I won't have to do that for too long because that's, be, well, it's going to more or less kind of kill my, uh, kill my free time. So, anyway, um, another decent run. I'm trying to get into the habit of going and doing a run once a month. I would love to do it every other week when I get paid for my primary job, but mm, I don't see that happening right now. You know, unfortunately. 
So I'm trying to do it at least once a month. And as I do these uh, episodes of the podcast, I will every so often, I think, I think the ratio I'm going to do is like one every, I want to say one every three episodes, maybe, because I've got a couple of on the road episodes saved up, so it should be, should be good. So anyway, this is Brian, the Arcade Addict, signing off for now. It is Sunday, August 12th, 2018, 6.32 p.m., signing off. Until next time, you know, support your local arcade and respect your history. Have good, have fun, and just keep and just keep on and just keep on rocking. Talk to you guys later. Bye bye. This has been the Confessions of an Arcade Addict podcast. All music is provided by Kevin McLeod. You can find his music at Incompetech.com. If you wish to contact the show, you can drop an email at arcadeaddictbrian, that's all one word, at gmail.com. We also have a voicemail number for the show. It is 734-743-2433. Until next time, this is the Confessions of an Arcade Addict podcast.